can truly, surely, woo a sigh of relief that 2022 is in the rear view mirror. There was the untimely death of my father and my gangster sister's health crisis and all of us getting COVID and we didn't die. I am here as a testimony to the survival and thriving. No excuses and no patience for pity parties. I'm gonna be talking about how to glow up as a podcaster or not. Good black news and words of encouragement and shade if you stupid. What I'm reading, the Dallas Cowboys and other things, football and sports, pop culture news, donkeys donking and side eye shenanigans. I like the part of the podcast where I talked about over 40 dating and other relationship issues. Quark's bar dedicated to podcasts, reality TV recaps. Join me as I fuss and have a moment as I kick and stomp my way through the next iteration of my life. Join me for this rocking good time. And thank you for listening. I hope it's not presumptuous of me to talk about the inroads my show is making and what my platform means. I keep saying this and I start every show about giving my own self kudos because I continue the work. I continue to create content that hopefully reaches across not just the diaspora, but throughout the world, influence other cultures. I want to be informative as well as entertaining because I think you can do both and you don't have to be negative and you don't actually have to be uh, negative and hateful in order to make a difference. I don't want you to click or to listen to my show because you want to hear some negative or something crazy. I want you to basically want to engage in in my show because you are finding us. It's a source of how can I say this? A, a source of inspiration, and you can walk away learning something. All the people from Utah all the way to the District of Columbia, thank you for listening. Um, even in Florida, it's. They are surpassing about, of all the downloads in the United States, they comprise about 5.44% or 1,225 downloads. It's like I keep doubling the amount of downloads per month, and I'm very, very grateful for that. All the marketing strategies that we've done and the efforts by other companies, it's very uplifting to know this. And I wanted to give special shout outs to all of the people that are pushing me towards um, a goal of possibly making 200,000 downloads, hopefully by the beginning of the summer, hopefully before. I want to send special shout out to user Roy Morin. They say, loving the show. Thank you. Russell Cobbs, really enjoyed this one. Thanks guys for all your hard work. Douglas Henderson, even though it, it appears that my show had been in the past more uh, feminine leaning, these seem to be more masculine names, but I'll take it. 
But Ivory could go either way. Ivory Trombley. This is definitely a good podcast for enjoy. English as second language, but that's okay. Um, and then Michael Williams. I just started listening and it. Always really good. The podcast is amazing. That's exactly what I want when I grow up. That's hysterical. And these are all five-star ratings on iTunes. All of my listeners continue to listen to my podcast. And I thank you for all of the effort you put into Leave Me Five Star Ratings. Tell a friend, wherever you listen to podcasts, if you listen within each application, you can actually enter in a review, um, usually at the bottom of the actual player. Um, but if you listen to the player or like online, you don't have the ability to, listen, to send a review. If you don't have the ability to send a review, shoot me an email or a text at tenfrowitsreading at gmail.com. If the letter or the review is not too trolly, I'll actually read it online. And again, as always, thank you for listening and helping me to be encouraged to continue to churn out good content. Turn to the rocks, we'll go. 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 Let's go, let's go. The men are turning in the mandi. The men are turning in the hole. These are just some of the lyrics from the retreat song by Miriam Makiba, the great mother Africa. This basically sums up this next session as I celebrate black women excellence, as well as the women of Cameroon uh, from the organization strategies. I will introduce you to who I consider friends now, but they're just so great. And it was such an honor to be able to interview these women, Kyle Walla, Howard Grad, Bergeline Domu, Alice Malangi. I hopefully, I did not hack up their names, but how great it is for me to start off with this music that basically binds us all together and is one of the women featured in their informative book, Black Women Shaping the World Across the Continents and Across Time. How can you actually go from songs so innocuous or lack of innocuous and getting exiled due to her criticism of apartheid? And then she gets kicked out of this country when she marries the great Stokely Carmichael of Black Panther fame.
when all of her songs were banned from South Africa and she testified in front of the United Nations and then she became a staunch uh, critic of the United States. Her passport was then revoked, but then she continued to travel the world and what her seemingly innocuous songs became the battle hymns that defined a generation and also um, defined the civil rights movement. And when Bergeline Domu wanted to expand upon her as a woman that she wanted to expand upon. I basically got that. Music has always been inclusive and it also is a rallying cry throughout the ages as a sign of protest and is also a sign of bringing people together. And what the true embodiment of that, I think, is actually Miriam Makiba, but also the other women like Kawala, who I mentioned uh, in her quest, she actually ran for the president of Cameroon. And she, her spirit is just so gracious. And she spoke of the great Mary Berry of the United States, a professor that led the sit-in that would be the downfall of apartheid. Um, also, um, Alice Malongo wanted us to discuss and she expanded upon the contributions of, and she's actually a young woman that was instrumental in the end sands. There was a fight against police brutality in Nigeria and Renu Adualu, I basically um, placed her in my gallery and they expanded upon her. But San is basically a mob of corrupt Nigerian policemen that were known, they basically were like a Roman death squad like we actually had in Memphis, Tennessee. And they extorted and just were awful. And she basically was became endorsed by the Black Lives, and it's in SARS, excuse me. She was connected to the Black Lives, uh, Lives Matter movement and through her connection with them, began to advocate against police brutality. And she's expanded it. And I'm sure she's become a target um, in her home country as well as uh, throughout the world. But these women, through great peril, the women that they highlighted and then the women that have spoke about them, through great peril, it never, it seems like it only propels them more to advocate for justice, to advocate for freedom, because there seems to be an urgency as the world basically seems to be kind of fraying at the edges with the war, continuous war in Ukraine and all of the police shootings, as well as school shootings here in my country, um, different unrest in the Caribbean. Unfortunately, at this time, we are all, we're spread out throughout the diaspora, but we all are united with this uh, fight on freedom. And for them to take the time out um, to speak to me, not just about their book, but what Strategies is doing in the upcoming months. I found the probably the most compelling conversation I've actually had in a very long time. It led me to more questions. And right now I'm planning another session with them to basically expand upon the topics that we only were able to briefly touch on um, during this session. 
So now join me as I speak to the women the collab- in their collaboration, Black women shaping the world across continents, across time. This book is in effect timeless as their forces using their platform to whitewash us out of our contributions to humanity and to the movement of equality, of justice, and of freedom. Right now, I would like for you guys to basically introduce yourself for me. My name is Ka Wala. I am from Cameroon. I am an entrepreneur. I am an activist. And uh, I am a political leader. I was the first woman in Cameroon to run for president in 2011. And uh, today... I am amongst those working and leading for political transition in Cameroon for us to get a just, free, and democratic society. That's me. (laughs) Thank you, Kawala. The reason you guys have joined me today is specifically to discuss your book, Black Women Shaping the World Across Continents and Across Time. This was a collaborative effort, and it was just amazing for me to basically, it was suggested by the producer manager of my show, and it was a joy to read. I read it three hours. <laughs> Great. Got through it, and I thought it was awesome. So thank you again. Thank you again, Kawala. Let's go ahead and let Domu introduce herself. Domu is my name, Domu Bejelin. I'm living in Douala, which means that I'm a Cameroonian. And uh, with Alice and Ka, we wrote the book about women, Black women who shape the world, as women are my focus when it comes to activism and politics, which I'm very involved in. So just to say that I'm a politician, I'm an activist, and I'm also a consultant focused on governance issue. And yes, this is me. Thank you. you. And now we'll go with Alice. Thank you. My name is Alice Malonte. I work as a leadership and management consultant in our firm, which is called Strategies. And as I am a feminist, I really define myself as a feminist and Afro-feminist. And I am very concerned about women's rights. And I mainly work on projects concern gender and women's leadership and empowerment. Thank you so much. And we also have another guest. Um, it looks like I have Aureli Majo. Um, can you <laughs> introduce yourself? Aureli Majo. Tu passes la route dans tes princes. Aureli is our colleague. I think she's she wants to just listen in. <laughs> she's listening in. And I also okay. see um, Desiree Young. Yes. And Desiree is also our colleague and um, is the project leader and the person who has put this whole interview together for us. So awesome. <laughs> Thank you guys for um, joining us. This is to our Desiree and O'Reilly. Now that is, a, I guess it's a great lead in. Who would like to talk more about strategies? What is the goal of that organization and where do you see it going? 
I can do that. Um, so strategies is a leadership and management consulting firm. We are, we will be 28 years old next month, wow. based out of Douala, Cameroon. Uh, we work in over 30 countries on the African continent, as well as in Europe, mainly in Germany and France. And since 2017, we have a branch office in Washington, D.C. Our objective is really to accompany the development of our continent, which is Africa. We think what we bring to the private sector organizations that we accompany and the public sector organizations, because we accompany governments and regional organizations, uh, the African Union, the European Union. What we bring is a very specific African lens. Um, we come from the place that Africans know the solutions to African problems and that our uh, job as consultants is to find those African voices, to find that African expertise, to bring what we have to the table and to be able to define solutions for our continent um, that are really rooted in who we are as Africans. Um, have you found um, in the last, maybe, it, maybe it's me, but in maybe the last two years, or at least even during this administration, that effort has been made more difficult, especially in the United States. I think uh, from our perspective, the United States is really struggling right now. Um, really, really struggling. Uh, one, because it has not confronted its own history of dealing with Africans, people of African origin who were brought to the country by force um, and uh, all of that history, the, the country, unfortunately, I think we, we all thought that the United States was making progress towards dealing with its history. And we've seen in the last six to seven years, um, really what looks like stepping back uh, from from dealing with its own history. And of course, if that country cannot deal with black people in its own within its own shores, it makes it very difficult. In fact, it has to take the same steps with Africa, which is to acknowledge the past, to have dialogue with us where we determine what are the tenets of forgiveness, of healing, of reestablishing a, a new partnership that puts us on an equal footing. This is what we are bringing to the table. And uh, while the US is struggling, that is still our message. <laughs> uh, that is change. still our message, yeah. <laughs> it really can't change what I see as like um, a lot, they're trying to legislate and they're trying to bleach all other contributions to our history aside. If you would listen to uh, politicians like Ron DeSantis and those along the conservative ilk, we didn't contribute to anything. Mm -hmm. And they seem to can't even understand why we need even a separate course or why we still need books like your book, 
mm-hmm. the collaboration of you guys, um, why we need a Women's History Month, why we need a Black History Month, why our history, it's not that it it's better than anyone else's history. It's just that now, why can't we tell the truth about the history and our contributions to history and recognize it? If you had them tell it, we were just over here as tourists on a tourist season. <laughs> And we just, but we just couldn't leave or go back Mm -hmm. or build a house or own any land because we were the property, but slavery didn't even exist. And we should have been, and we were actually happy. They really want to basically rewrite what the truths are without recognizing what that was, the persistence of racism and how far we have to go, but we have to go. We can't undiversify that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Exactly. I I think that, um, interestingly enough, this is precisely why we wrote this book. I mean, we did not we did not write it for Americans. We wrote it first of all for ourselves as African women. Um, but you know, we have decades of being written out of history, right? And um, you've, you know, you you heard us introduce ourselves. We are all activists. We are all women who are at the forefront of fighting for rights and to do that on a consistent basis. And we live in a very hostile environment. We live in a dictatorship. We've had the same president for 40 years. Um, it's it's a very tough environment to fight for basic rights in. And when you're fighting for basic rights, you need strength. You need to be able to reach down and to into your own history and to say, you know, what makes me legitimate in, in demanding what I'm demanding? What makes me, why is this my place? You know, and I think when we reach into history, whether it is African history, whether it is African-American history, whether it is Afro-Caribbean history, we find that for centuries, people have been fighting this fight. And so for us, it was very important to tell the story of the women who were in key emblematic fights for Africans and people of African descent. The book spans about 80 years of history. And we also see that people were connected. That's why we said, you know, across time and across continents, because we were surprised to see women who had no internet, who had no cell phones, um, and who still managed to connect and who still saw the fight as one fight. The, The fight for the freedom of Africans and you know, all people of African descent is one fight. We're we're fighting it in different geographies. We have, you know, different groups in front of us at certain times, but it is a single fight. And so for us, uh, the three of us, it was very important to write the book and to tell the story to ourselves, to tell the story, you know, for women and men around us. And of course, to share it across continents. <laughs> Were each one of you responsible for women from specific parts of the world? Or was it just kind of like, um, it was just diverse? How did you actually organize the book um, the way it was actually organized? Could you had mentioned of African Caribbean descent, 
African-American, um, as well as continental Africa uh, contributions, women contributions. Were you specifically, and I'll go, I'll start with you, um, highlight what was your specialty or did you have a specialty or is there one particular woman you would like to um, to highlight? Highlight, okay. Well, let me let Alice answer about how we organize the book and then I'll come into who I'm highlighting. Great. Thank you, Kaf. So um, while we were writing the book, we organized, we, we, we reflect together on how we could organize it. So for example, you will notice that um, our book covers three key moments across time. So first of all, we have the African independence movement and the civil rights movement. We also have the fight against the apartheid movement, the apartheid system in South Africa and and um, the Black Lives Matter movement in the US and also the NSAS movement in Nigeria. So each one of us decided to work on one of these three key moments. One woman in the book uh, mainly marked what was really interesting to me. So this woman is called Rinu Odwala, and she is a human rights advocate who focuses on justice and the fight against police brutality in Nigeria. She has started her work as a team, and she chose to advocate for the rights of underserved communities. And this led her to create an organization called Connect Hub Nigeria which is a community of young people fighting against police brutality. So you can notice that even in United States or in Nigeria and also in Cameroon, when you are fighting for your right, you face police brutality. And this Rinu Odwala, she decided to fight, to engage herself in the fight against the NSAS movement. And she became internationally known for her participation in this fight. For those who don't, who do not know the the, the NSAS movement, it is a special. The, the SARS was a special anti-robbery squad, with which was a notorious unit in the Nigerian police with a long record of abuse on Nigerian citizens. So during this NSAS movement in the in 2020, Rinu Odwala demonstrated her great leadership, including leading street protests, mobilizing resources, and using her online platforms to highlight police brutality. And she also contacted the Black Lives Matter. If you, you I as you have you have read our book, you can notice that there is a Black Lives Matter statement uh, to support the NSAS movement. So she contacted those activists and the raised fund to support the NSAS activists. So beside this Rinu Odwala, uh, beside Rinu Odwala, who is really in, 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 an interesting activist. There are other women in our book who also stood out during this crisis. And they are members of the feminist coalition. And if, if people who will be listening to us want to learn more about the feminist coalition, I invite them to order the book, which is available on Amazon. 
And what I will be having um, once this is actually edited and published, um, the links to order the book on Amazon, as well as direct links to the organizations will be included in the show notes. So thank you. And Domu, who would you like to highlight? I love music. So the one I will put the light on is Miriam Makeba, Mama Africa. Yes. Uh, she's a singer. Uh, she's an actress. She's also a songwriter. She's known for it. But above all, she's also known as an activist, a strong activist advocating for standing against apartheid, but also against, uh, she was deeply in, uh, implicated in uh, civil black movement in United States as she's succeed crossing continents. She's a South African who succeed to be active in United States in many other uh, African countries. For 30 years, she was in exile. For 30 years, she used, for more than 30 years, she used her voice. She used her songs. She used even herself to to say no about against injustice so she was not only making people dancing she was not making only people only to enjoy movies but out after listening to her after listening watching her it was like you you, you feel indignate and then stand to do something stand to act and this is how she's really really used what she was good as she was really good in music. She was really good in acting, and she used all all this as a tool to 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 put light on the situation in her country, but also in many other injustices around the world concerning black people. So she's my she's really my my favorite because you can be dancing, you can be shaking yourself, but by shaking, you get uh, uh, aware of injustice going somewhere. And after dancing, after watching and moving, you just turn and say, okay, let us go on the field for the, for the struggle. So Miriam Akeba for me is really, really the one I really enjoy on, on the book. Awesome. Thank you. I felt the same way. I think people, the civil rights movement here in this country, um, between Aretha Franklin, Mother Africa, they gave, they draw you in and make you more receptive to the message. And then before you know it, you're receiving something. You're put on notice about what the message is. And the more you sing the songs, whether they are from Mother Africa, where they are from the spirituals, you carry the message on. And she's basically timeless. And it's unfortunately and unfortunately, what her struggle and what she was struggling against, we're still working at it. We look like we were making progress and then they snap. They're starting to dial it back. What about you, Ka? <laughs> I'm going to um, highlight, but I just, just based on what you and Bergeline have just said, you know, I think one of the other very nice things that we saw in, in writing this book was that these women also were loved at 
activist, married activist, you know, and Miriam Makeba and her marriage to Stokely Carmichael uh, cost her her popularity. She was a very popular artist in the United States until she married a Black Panther. It wasn't and, until her association with them and then we pulled her passport and we it, she was basically it, kicked it, out of the exactly. country. But it, it didn't stop her. She worked through a lot. Um, exactly. That, her association, they basically said, we're going to kick you out now. But her, her, the story still went on. She continued exactly. to struggle, but just exactly. not in the United States. Exactly, exactly. And we, 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 you know, in the book, you know, the Maya Angelou and her story with, you know, um, moving to Africa with a man who was also an activist and, and um, you know, continuing her story. So it was really uh, quite interesting for us. I, I think we love all these women. It's hard to choose one, but that that I will highlight is Mary Frances Berry, just because um, I am a Howard graduate. I am a DCer. I <laughs> I lived in DC for many years, and um, I actually attended the 415 protests that were organized by Mary Frances Berry against apartheid in um, Washington, D.C. And we would leave school and go down to the South African embassy and protest in front of the embassy against apartheid. And for me personally, this was a huge moment in my own political education. And I think Mary Frances Berry is somebody who is not flashy, not showy. Um, she represents for me those solid pillars of any movement. The people who are really organizing, who are extremely strategic, who are steadfast, and who do um, the fundamental work uh, that is not that does not get all the glory necessarily and so on. But when I look at her career in the way that she has always fought for, you know, civil rights within the U.S., but then at the time of apartheid moved with that international lens and uh, they basically surprised the South African ambassador um, by doing a sit-in, you know, took an appointment like it was for a meeting and then ended up doing a sit-in. Um, that, you know, took, helped the anti-apartheid movement to really take off in the United States. Uh, Mary Frances Berry, who still lives in Washington, D.C. today, um, is just for me one of those emblematic women. Awesome. Now, as we come to the end of this um, interview or this session, number one, I'm going to go on record to say, I think I'm going to need a round two. So I'm going to probably refer you to Calendy because I think we, this is just the beginning of further conversations that I would like to have with you guys. And I'm thinking a longer session may be, um, may be on the horizon if you guys are willing. But as we come to the end of this session, if you guys could give me in a few words, each of you, where do we need to go from here? And what else do we need to expand upon? In a few words, I would like to hear from each one of you. 
and we can start where we end. I, if you would like to go, Kai, it would be great. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, uh, Berzeline, go ahead. Go ahead. I think Berzeline has. And then you can wrap it all up for us, Kai. Great. I was unmuting my my mic to to better understand the question. Uh, as the network is not really good here, uh, maybe you can please Felicia. Maybe you can. Um. So what I was what I basically asked is number one. I think we are going to have one. We can, if we can get you all together because I know you're busy. We're going to have to have a second session. Um. Because there's so much we can hit upon that I would like to expand upon at a later session. But in your words, and few, as we end this session, where do you see, where do we need to go from here for, to further this discussion? Like a little bit of a focus from your standpoint. Ooh, I think what I can say, there. I think from here we can go to many, many directions. There are a lot of Possibility, I will also opportunity to 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 discuss the issue, the direction where we can go. And I, for me, for me, uh, I think I will better say it for me. What really concerns me when what I where I think we can go from now is the position of the women, the implication of the women in the global conversation, women. Uh, as we are facing now, we are really in a real, I don't know if the word turmoil is the word, but we are really in a bad situation for humanity, bad situation for whether you are black or white, for everyone with uh, this uh, Ukrainian crisis, with this uh, inflation going up, going around the world. I think uh, we have been hearing only male or male voices. They are the one making wars. They are the one bringing conflicts everywhere. And there is no voice, no women voice. And I think for me from here, we can move on with the women voices. They must be part of the conversation. They must even living leading the conversation. This means that they must be around the table. We are seeing the table everywhere with Putin, uh, Biden, Zelensky, where are women? Nowhere. Where are black women? Nowhere. So I think from here we we must move to that direction, and it is urgent. As seeing how the things see how things are going, seeing how the world is going, we must do it for the humanity as we are human. And I will actually just add on to that, even with Kamala Harris. Uh, being the vice president, we we have a we there are some women, not black, but there are some women, but they are that are loud and shouting, but they come with this crazy message that's in alignment with this rise in conservatism and fascism in this country. The Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Kristen Cinemas. We got a couple of women over here, but it's just they're the complete opposite they're not helpful. And I'm going to pause it there because we can go on for about an hour or two hours just talking about those women, the toxic women. <laughs> but thank you, Domu. That was perfect. That was perfect. Let me hand to Alice. I okay. Think so. Okay, yeah. I can go ahead. So as Bergeline has already said, 
you know, the global context is really is currently marked um, by serious crisis. We have security, humanitarian, health, and mostly the food crisis. And you know, there is this new approach in the development sector that is called the feminist development of foreign policy. So it is uh, according to this new approach, uh, if we want the world to be a better place, we have to improve the conditions of women around the world. So I was saying that if we want the world to be a better place, we have to uh, improve the conditions of women around the world. But I will mostly say we have to improve the conditions of African and Black women around the world. If we want the world to be a better place, we want it to be developed and we want all people to be happy. So this is what I can say about where, in which direction we can continue this conversation. Thank you so much, Alice. There seems to be an urgency as well as not just a recognition of women, but also the drive to improve us. And there's so much of an urgency to it as they're rampaging to restrict our freedoms. We also, but there's an urgency to fix that too. Um, would you agree to that, Ka? Absolutely. I think uh, I am totally aligned with um, Bergeline Dumo and uh, Alice Malongte to say that, um, and 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 also as you were pointing out, you know, when we are talking about women, black women at the table. Um, we are talking, uh, yes, of course, about physical people and physical representation, but we are really fundamentally talking about a worldview. We're talking about a worldview. Um, these women who are in our book are women who, like us, see a world where justice is, you know, this the fundamental principle on which we work. See a world where rights are recognized for every single human being. See a world where political decisions, economic decisions, social decisions are being made with the human being, with the human being at the center and being the point of the entire matter of governance and of you know um the 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 well-being of the human being and i think this is what these women have been fighting for this is what we are fighting for and of course this is a perspective um that is held by the majority of black women around the world and that other women hold and that men can hold. Um, and you, you point out so so rightly, Felicia, that we have to be careful because um, you have women who have the opposite viewpoint and who tend to be let into the room. And so then tend to, you know, when we look at your television and we hear these voices of what sounds like, sorry, but crazy women, um, we ask ourselves, you know, 
Why are they being given voice? Who is behind the fact that they are getting more media time um, than all of the wonderful women that we know who live in America and work in America and who are fighting for justice and, and you know, human-centered development of, of your country? So for us, you know, where we go from here is that we keep using our voices and and thank you for your platform because platforms like yours allows us to get our voices out that we continue to tell the stories so at least Bergeline and I are we have more stories we have more books <laughs> uh, in the pipeline of um, amazing women. One of the stories we want to tell is of a movement of women called Mothers of the Nation who are active today in Cameroon, uh, outstanding women who, you know, put their bodies in the line of fire to stand for this worldview, to stand for a Cameroon that's built around these values that we're talking about. Yeah, I think we have lots. We we could keep you here all day, Felicia. <laughs> we have lots to to talk about. <laughs> it, is, um, it, is, it is so my pleasure because even though as you get justice for Cameroon, as you basically emerge from your dictatorship, all of your lessons, things that you're strive that you're going through, it's just so applicable to everyone across the diaspora. That's why I wanted, and it, it was such a pleasure that I had the opportunity to speak to you guys. We are going to continue the conversation because again, there's so much we, we need to touch on, but justice in Cameroon, um, justice here in America, justice in the Caribbean, justice in Nigeria, that's where one part of the struggle is going. And I'm just so excited. I get to talk about the details with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. All I know is y'all really need to stop playing in my face with the donkeyness of it all. Tim Burchett, is that his name? He's the donkey of the donkey. How he going to say the GOP can't fix gun laws? Well, if you don't think you can fix them, then you need to stop obstructing because that's what's going on in Tennessee right now. And he's leading the charge of making it really easy to for crazy people to get guns. They basically, in spite of the school shooting, they basically dropped the age where you can actually have permitless carry, except if you're black, permitless carry of firearms to the age of 18, which is ridiculous. And for Maggie Green talking about free speech matter, free speech doesn't mean you can say some off the cuff shit about transgender and homophobia and be transphobic and say it's going to fly because that's what even Twitter, even Elon Musk looking at her like she crazy. You can't use that platform to be hate mongering and that's why they kicked your ass off at least for seven days you need to go sit down and you also need to read the what free speech means it means the government can't restrict your speech if you are speaking against the government your hate mongering and the, the stupid shit you say on twitter has nothing to do with free speech re look and educate yourself on 
what that actual definition is. But I know because you have nothing in your history says that you're going to do any of that. Just like Tim Burchett actually being doing a responsible thing. And instead of capitulating to the gun lobbyists, basically um, writing some really sane gun control laws, background checks, because Audrey Hale, that basically shot up the school, she shouldn't have had access to any guns. And she was able to buy seven high-power AR-15. What she need with AR-15? She are, what, really? What is going on and what? They said there's a manifesto out there. I don't think I, I'm in the right frame of mind to read that craziness, just ranting and ranting for pages and pages and pages and why she did the coward thing and shot up elementary school. Who does that? But it was too easy, but she got capped in the interim. And I have a feeling if she was depressed enough and she was suicidal, she died by cop which is actually sad. I think the cops acted accordingly to basically stop the shooting, but we have to do more that people that actually are mentally unstable have no access to guns. If the GOP can't do it, great, Tim, don't do it. Let the Democrats actually do it. And Maggie Taylor Greene, shut up, just stop it. It is about the tragedy that happened in Nashville. And you are just so uneducated, can't read the room, you rather spread transphobic rhetoric to increase your coffers just because you can. And I'm looking at this picture. Whoever keeps doing your fillers and your Botox, they need to stop. And they actually, you may need to actually come up against them as far as um, malpractice because you look like a caricature and a clown. I'm just saying. The Final Frontier. The stories can contain within this content are the after 5 p.m. and before 8 p.m. escapades of a middle-aged space nerd with a fro. Continuing to talk about things that only interest me for bonus content. I will talk about space news, pop culture in space, and shop talk, ramen, and break down the latest episode of Star Trek, whatever is coming out from the latest franchise. And also whatever is popping in my head. If you're up for this journey, just know that this is a metered, shade-laced opinion. If you don't agree, don't subscribe, but I hope you will. And thanks for the support. That is Discovery. Um, basically, this is Viodance's uh, interpretation of the theme music from most of the Star Trek series, and that's the one from Discovery. And 
this is a shameless plug for my bonus content as it is, 10 Froze Bar, um, where I talk about all things space. I take deeper dives into Picard, um, and I also talk about uh, Shop Talk. I take a deeper dive, because I haven't figured out the brackets yet, and what's the movement that's going on pre-NFL draft. And I hope you will enjoy me as, and try to do it soon, because the episodes will go behind the paywall when the new episodes um, load. And I thank you for listening. The Shady Bunch, the Shady Bunch. I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch. You know what? Shut You know, I did not. Stop you were engaged to Drew Smith. You know, so you don't even know what I'm talking about. You are so delusional. I'm just trying to cut off Ramona. This is not the time. It's not the forum. It's not even the right audience, for Christ's sake. I wished I was born Jewish. Should we go on? How about, hello. Oh, I wished I was born Jewish. But you weren't. I was we're not going to do Not that many people do. I was upset that I wasn't born Jewish. Do you understand? I cry at night. I wish I was Jewish. We're not going to make it. We're not going to make it about you and your white isolation. We're not going to say that. Five minutes. We're going to focus. Don't steer the conversation to yourself. It was a conversation. So, I was trying to explain about my feelings. She's explaining about her feelings. Can we please listen to the blacks and Jews? It's not about you. I'm not so eloquent. You know. I'm really horrified. Archie has gone out of her way, making such a beautiful night for us to celebrate culture and compassion. And Ramona and Sonia make you look like an asshole. I don't think I have ever been just completely flummoxed by anything that has to do with the Real Housewives. I thought it was bad enough. But as the other Real Housewives series have wrapped, I'm left with New York and Atlanta's probably going to start up later and all the off-screen shenanigans of everybody seems to be getting divorced, like Drew and Ralph and Ava Marcel. And she wants primary custody after her current husband adopts her child uh, from another brother. As I was talking to the women for, of Cameroon and strategies about what Elsa and what we need to focus on, well, I was watching Real Housewives of New York. I was watching just how pitiable and disgusting Ramona, who is one of the OGs of that series, is. They were talking about health inequities, and one of the African-American women basically was talking about how her treatment, how she was ill-treated when she was in labor. And we've all heard the stories about increase or the high rates of African-American women's death um, during labor, as well as uh, pain medications being ignored. I mean, basically, Serena Williams, as well as Beyonce, one of the two high-profile celebrities, basically were also ill-treated in their most vulnerable time. And we could have not been able um, to be entertained and continue to be blessed by um, special skills. But 
not only basically she wanted the focus to be back on her, she basically turned up. And that other girl, Sonya, did the same thing to basically make their moment when it was such a serious issue. I'm talking about what else African-American women and what with dialogue that needs to happen. It doesn't matter what happens to Sonia and her beef with Ramona and Ramona basically saying, well, my nurse was black and she treated, she didn't believe I was having pain and they withheld pain medication, but it, you are the exception rather than the rule. That other participant in the Shabbat, basically that is how we all as African-Americans across the diaspora and women that are minority, we are treated across the board and we expect to be treated and not believed because that is what health disparity is. We don't give a fuck how you were treated um, because we know your dumb ass would have continued to scream and then you would have had everybody fired. And that would have been your right as a white Karen. But the rest of us, we would have died, had a PE, coded, and nobody would have cared. We just would have become another statistic. So I find it deplorable that she turned up at the Shabbat table, made it her moment, and Sonya contributed to it, made it their moment, instead of talking about what the actual issue is. Health disparity around Black and other minority women. And for them to use their platform in such a negative tone to only inflate their own image as crazy Karens is despicable. Hopefully by my basically bringing a focus to it, even though they it was negatively uh, representative on that platform, I'm hoping people that tune in to my platform will talk about the reality of health disparity. And they will, if they not, if they don't identify uh, as part of the diaspora, they will not try to turn it in on them to make it their moment um, outside of having a real discussion about not only what healthcare disparity is, but also what we can do to actually change it. And just basically using the same, um, how do you do that? Well, Listen to their symptoms, do an exam, basically do your damn job is what you have to do. And you basically do your damn job no matter what the race of the person is. That's where you start. You start at the bedside about combating health disparity. And that's it for this episode of Tenfro is Reading. You know, I talked cash-ish all last year. I hope the listening audience will continue to enjoy my opinion and not so subtle shade. I mean, I'm 2,000 listeners per episode in, so go run tell that haters. I may take it on the road if I get hint hint sponsorship. Navigate to dalesangelsinc.blog for swag and extended podcast notes. Don't forget to hit like or leave a five-star review. It gets me on top of the algorithms and it may just get you on my show. 2023's motto is boss up and get the bag. And as always, tell a friend and thank you for listening.